Hey, hey, hey! Welcome to Write in Your Mind, episode one. I'm Wilson. My job is to break down lessons and insights from change makers in the mental health space, including experts, investors, and founders. So today we'll be talking to Clarissa Oni. She's the co-founder of Moody, a phone app that combines cognitive behavioral therapy with behavioral science to provide a sustainable, engaging, and accessible solution for those experiencing distress. Clarissa's a Sydney-based university student at the University of New South Wales, studying computer science and neuroscience. And in this conversation, we discussed some pretty cool topics. So stick around, involving her motivations, why she founded Moody, what that process was like, what it's like founding an early-stage startup, especially in mental health, and conducting custom interviews and finding the right people to talk to when the topic is so sensitive. And as always, all links that I mentioned will be in the show notes. We did end up having some audio quality issues at times during this podcast, so I apologize for that. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Clarissa Oni. Hope you enjoy. I just wanted to start off the show with a real quick rundown of Moody, which is the app that you founded. So in my understanding, it's a five-minute cognitive behavioral therapy CBT application that involves mental health companions. In, in your words, how would you describe what Moody's like? So our like big overall vision is to essentially build a one-stop shop solution that includes like education, treatment, and relapse prevention, which are the three like issues that we find um, mainly in patients who experience distress, so things like depression, anxiety, etc. Um, and what we want to do is just build a space where everyone has an accessible and convenient solution for whenever they're in distress, particularly important and prevalent since the onset of COVID. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but as it stands, as of August, about one-fifth of people in Australia have had occasional suicidal ideation. And there's actually been a global meta-study that showed that the prevalence of depression and anxiety symptoms during COVID has doubled in adolescents and young adults. So it's something that's extremely important now. And it's something that we find is particularly unaddressed with young people. So something like 75%, um, three quarters of mental health problems occur before you're 25, but young people aren't seeking professional help. And that's something that we really want to target. Current solutions are either focused on purely the symptoms or they don't provide like enough feedback or they're not tailored for young people. So like, you know, and I know that like, on technology, our focus isn't kept for very long. Like we're used to like flicking through stories. We're used to like consuming tech in like really short bursts, right? And so that's how we're trying to present CBT. Instead of having tedious one-hour sessions that you have to fill out worksheets for, we're trying to pre present it in really short progressive snippets to make it easy to stay consistent and to make it presented in a format that young people are used to. I think you mentioned three really interesting points there. So education treatment and relapse prevention. How would you say Moody tries to address all of those? So within the application, we have sections for psychoeducation. So there we're sort of educating people on what you would sort of expect with your symptoms, what different activities will do to try and help you. And then the second part is the treatment and that's where the activities come in. And as I know you've seen, we have a companion and the companion sort of guides you through these activities and the companion levels up as you go through, the, through these activities. So your companion develops 
quote unquote skills as you complete these activities and they can level up and gain new abilities. So I guess we're incorporating a little bit of gamification, but it's very much in a way that allows you to care for this companion as you would in real life care for yourself. And then in the relapse prevention, that's very much how we're making the treatment like easy and how we're making it easy to stay consistent and how we're making it really enjoyable to come back to. I think that is a super interesting point. You're kind of harnessing people's tendencies to care for other people and directing that towards some virtual pet, like a virtual companion. And that way you can kind of make people care for themselves. Yeah, like if you think about like Nintendogs. <laughs> Nintendogs, but with CBD. Exactly. <laughs> Taking a step back then, so what made you want to start Moody? What's kind of the story there? Yeah, so Derek and I, Derek, my co-founder, and I, uh, we met through mutual friends. And we originally actually bonded over our love for banh mi. And when we were like semi-regularly getting banh mi, we started talking about mental health because everyone has either personally experienced the impact of mental health or experienced it through, you know, friends or family that have gone through mental health problems. And so we started talking about that. So he's studying medicine and in his fourth year, they do like a research project. And his research was centered around essentially like digital health, but for chronic pain. And so he was thinking about the same thing, but in regards to digital mental health solutions. When he was trying to help people close to him with their mental health problems, he was trying to find solutions online and digital solutions and couldn't really find anything that was really effective or really you know, enjoyable or was really tailored for young people. And I personally have experienced mental health issues in the past and I sort of resonated with that really strongly. Like I found it really hard for many, many years to try and seek help and try and find something that worked. So then we started discussing and we're like, look, if there's nothing out there that any of us can use, then we should just make something. When you say we should just make something, where does that thought kind of lead you guys? Like what were the first couple of steps that you guys took? Well, the first couple of steps was very much just talking to other people. And I feel like most, if not all startup founders have gone through the same process. You, you have a problem that you think is a problem and you have a solution that you think is a solution. But the only way to really work out whether it's a real problem and it's a real solution is to talk to people. And so we scheduled a lot of conversations with people who had experienced mental health concerns or who are, who are currently experiencing mental health concerns. And we really just wanted to hear about their story and the problems that they face and you know try to ideate what could fix all of these common pain points in all of these people. I'm sure some of those must have been pretty difficult conversations. Usually when you try and validate a startup idea or a startup problem, you can talk to people, maybe run through, say, the mum test principles, ask them questions. How did you kind of find that was unique in mental health? Because a lot of these stories would be much more personal. Did you find that to be a barrier? Did you find that to be helpful even? I think, obviously, when you're talking about mental health, you have to be very sensitive. And you have to be very careful in how you ask follow-up questions based on how the other person is behaving. I think it's really important before you talk to the people and before you initiate the interview at all, that you preface it by giving them an idea about the sorts of questions that you're going to ask and making sure that firstly, they're comfortable with that and that they know that if at any time they are uncomfortable, they can either not respond or just completely end the interview. And that's something that we did and that's something that's very important. 
Secondly, I think it's really important to just be aware of the person that you're talking to. If they seem uncomfortable at any point, if they seem hesitant, you just sort of have to move on. In saying that, though, one of the biggest struggles in any digital mental health solution is trying to provide something personalised for people. And in that sense, it was really good to be able to get everyone's personal stories because then you sort of get more insight into how you have to tailor things based on people's experiences or based on, you know, where they're at in their mental health journey. So I think that you mentioned something there that was really interesting, which is that it is very important to keep a lot of the interviews personalized. What sort of questions did you ask and how did you navigate? How did you handle those interviews? You know, as you go through the process, your questions sort of change. But at the very beginning, because what we were trying to do was just to gain an idea of their experiences, it was very much just talking to them and working out the extent of their mental health experiences, what their pain points are, what like a day would look like when they were distressed, common solutions that people would try, common solutions that would work that wouldn't work, people's experiences in searching for a psychologist, finding a psychologist, whether or not they could find one that worked. So it was very much just asking a lot of questions around what they'd tried, what they hadn't tried, what they struggled with, more or less. Yeah, trying to work out commonalities in everyone's experiences. On the customer interviews, it's kind of interesting because usually the way that you reach your customers is you can find some sort of communities or go through mutual friends. I'm kind of curious, how, how did you manage to reach a lot of the people who you interviewed? Do you happen to have any specific resources, any methods or any tips? So at the beginning, we definitely tried to leverage our own personal network a little bit. So we did share stuff on our own social media. My co-founder did post a link in like a couple of university groups. So a lot of the standard methods, but I guess like once you find the first couple of people, it's very much then word of mouth. It's like once you talk to someone, you try to get them to refer you to other people that have had the same experiences. And so at the beginning, it was very much like that. We were fortunate enough in the last couple of weeks to participate in a competition held by Batia, which is a mental health organization. And they sort of shared us through their own networks. And so we've gotten a bit more traction through that and a bit more exposure to the kinds of people that we wouldn't have with our own personal networks, which is really good. So yeah, I think things that I'll definitely recommend are firstly, of course, leverage your own personal networks. And secondly, try to have some sort of relationship with organizations in the industry because they, of course, have a much a greater breadth of exposure. I think you mentioned Batia. I remember also recalling that you'd also participated in several hackathons or quick building contests. And especially with Moody, I think you guys were nominated for some awards. How have you found that participating in these hackathons or competitions? So for any of our listeners, a hackathon is a contest where you try to build something in a very, very short amount of time, say three to five days even, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. How would you say that this has influenced how you think about the startup process in general? The thing about hackathons that I think are really good is that they prove you can learn a skill in a very short period of time. So all of the hackathons that I've built have been 24-hour hackathons. So you're given a problem and you just got to build something in 24 hours. So you have to go through the design process. You have to go through like... Well, firstly, you have, to, you have to work out a solution to the problem and then you have to go through the design process and you have to go through the building process. And then if you've got time, you try and like fix things up a bit, which is, I guess, the, the iterative process. And that all takes place in a very short period of time. So hackathons are really, really good for getting you exposures to building projects. 
um, and to building projects that might in the future become really meaningful things that you can take elsewhere. And one really good thing about hackathons, particularly in comparison to many other competitions, is that no matter how you go, if you win or if you don't win, you'll come out of it having built something and you'll come out of it having forced yourself to learn skills that you probably didn't have beforehand. So I think hackathons were great for me in the sense that they sort of helped me believe that I could develop skills to build something really quickly. And they also sort of took me through the entire ideation, design and building process in a, you know, in a really short period of time. There are a lot of hackathon projects, as I think we both know, that come out of 24-hour or three-day workshops that like the quality ranges from small, very bad projects to some ones that actually look end up looking quite professional, quite good, yet very little of them actually end up ever going to market. What would you say that you've learned from starting Moody that I guess a hackathon won't teach you? Oh, that's a good question. I think because hackathons are such a short time frame, you don't really go through the whole iterative process. And I know it's a buzzword, but it's a real thing. You sort of come up with a solution. And once you start building, you're sort of forced to stick with it. And, you know, you, you finish your project and you pitch so that your solution comes out in the most favorable way. In the real life, you come up with a solution, you talk to people, and your solution is not validated. <laughs> And you work out that it is not the ideal solution for what you want to solve. And I think that's what's missing, like, you know, the validation, the validation process with users and the user interviews that occur throughout the building process, right? So we have definitely, Derek and I have definitely gone through a number of prototypes. And if you look at our first iteration versus what we have now, a lot has changed. So I guess that's one really big thing, the the, the whole iterative process. That's that's not really something you go through in at least the hackathons that I've experienced. Um, and secondly, I think working on Moody has sort of taught me, you know, you have to believe in your ideas and you have to really stay focused on a big picture goal. But sometimes in the previously mentioned process, you work out that what you thought was an incredible you know, world-changing idea might not be what works for your current problem. And sometimes it can be really hard to let that go. It's, it's a, it's, it can be a really hard lesson to learn depending on how attached you are to your ideas. Um, but it's, an, it's a really important one. It definitely sounds like you need to be able to let go fast, move on and learn very quickly. I think a quick transition from that note, we both come from a tech background. How have you found the experience of not having a scientific background in this space? When you're working in an area where there's a lot of research being done, how do you navigate that? So I guess I have two main advantages in that sense. So the first one is because I do study neuro neuroscience alongside computer science, I do have probably a lot more exposure to science and research and trudging through papers than other people who study comp sci. And I also have worked, I've worked in research beforehand. So I sort of, if not understand the field Specifically, I understand at least how to filter through papers and try to, you know, filter through important information. And secondly, my co-founder is a med student who has probably read through more papers than I ever will in my lifespan. And he definitely makes up for my lacking. So, yeah, I think that goes to show the really the importance of finding co-founders and finding a team that has complementary skills, because, you know, obviously I have I have the tech background. And he has the research background and the medicine background. So that has definitely helped a lot. 
yeah, finding someone who you can work with that has domain expertise is really helpful. And especially, it sounds like for you, if you're studying neuroscience as well, it sounds like that could definitely be an advantage. How have you found that studying neuroscience has helped in Moody? Has there been any, any specific moments where you're like, oh, hey, this was actually really useful? Or has it mostly been you learn as you go? So I will say that it has been mostly you learn as you go. And I feel like that's sort of the nature of building any sort of startup, because no matter what your expertise is, you, you will have to learn other skills. With neuroscience specifically, I wouldn't say it's really helped in very specific ways. Like I mentioned before, it probably would help in the sense that I'm familiar with research papers and it's given some insight into like the therapy, the, like the current therapy and pharmacotherapy for mental illnesses and some insight into the issues currently faced within that space. Because my degree is largely focused on like cellular mechanisms behind a lot of the brain processes, so things like physiology, anatomy, pharmacology. I would, I would probably say it's, it doesn't specifically help with the startup itself. Yeah. I think one thing that's kind of interesting about Moody and yourself, Clarissa, is that you're still in university. And there are a lot of startup founders out there that have worked in research and they've, they've worked for very, very long periods of time, or, or maybe they're practicing psychologists, or maybe they've been in the industry for a long time. How have you found being in university has been an advantage or disadvantage or just any interesting notes? Well, for one, the fact that we are young and the people that we're targeting are young definitely helps. So that's definitely one advantage. I will say that entering an industry like this can be very daunting because like you said, most people who are working in this industry or who have built things in this industry are very experienced or very accomplished or have many years of some sort of industry experience behind them. But at the same time, you know, the fact that we're in university probably it gives it gives a little bit of flexibility in the sense that we don't have a lot of the responsibilities that you might have later on in life. And so you might have a little bit more might have a little bit more of a safety net in case things don't go well. <laughs> but there is definitely a lot to learn. And I think for anyone who wants to start anything in university, you, you have to be aware of the time commitment and you have to be aware that it's not like you know, it's not like joining a society. It's not even like a part-time job. Sometimes it can be more commitment than a part-time job. And for anything to work, you really you really need to put those hard hours in. I know your, your co-founder, Derek, you mentioned, is currently studying medicine at the moment. So from my understanding, it seems like you're the more technical of the two versus Derek has, it seems, more research knowledge and more domain expertise. You mentioned a bit earlier that you guys have just started building and you're in construction. How do you kind of manage your skill sets and how do you delegate tasks in the day-to-day? What does day-to-day at Moody look like? Yeah, so um, I will say day-to-day right now is probably uh, a little bit slowed down just because I just got out of finals and he's preparing for his final med exam, so the end of his med degree, which is a pretty big deal. I will say that the most important thing is definitely just communication. So, you know, obviously before development started, we could sort of work on things a little bit more equally. So we'd split interviews, um, we'd discuss a lot of like the product development together, all of that. Um, Whereas now, because we're starting to ramp up development, I'm definitely spending most of my time just building. Whereas he is focusing a little bit more on, you know, the customers and you know, doing those interviews and talking to people in the space. So people like psychologists, 
And the way that we sort of try to maintain that is by having regular check-ins. So we're very aware of what milestones we want to hit. Um, we sort of communicate as to, okay, look, this is the feature we want to build. This is when we want to build it by and go from there. So communication, being on the same page about everything um, and being really aware of what we each other are doing are really important because that, that tends to change ebb and flow um, as you go on. So it's, you know, a good idea to have, to know what each other are doing. Definitely. Like everyone talks about product market fit, but founder fit is almost just as important to be able to communicate with the person who you're working with almost all the time. Yeah, I would say that founder fit is even more important than product market fit at the beginning, right? Because obviously product market fit is is the end goal. That's what you want and that's what you need for a successful product. But to be even able to reach product market fit, you need a good team behind you. So I wanted to bring this conversation a bit more towards the start where you talked about your vision and the three points of education, treatment and relapse prevention. I was kind of curious of your thoughts on the general mental health space and I guess a bit beyond Moody. Were there any specific startups that you thought were doing cool things, any cool initiatives? What do you think the future of the space is going to be like? I guess we're, we're in a pretty interesting time because until, you know, not even how many years ago, there wasn't a huge focus on things like CBT and therapy for mental, mental illnesses. And now as we move into a much more digital space, there's definitely a lot more focus on trying to provide accessible solutions for mental health, which is really, really good. However, though, you know, med tech and anything to do with medicine or mental health can be, you know, pretty sensitive. And so it can come with a, a lot of challenges. So things like regulations, concerns with patient deterioration, the people that you're working with. Um, and so things in medtech can be a bit slow compared to a lot of other startup industries. I will say, though, I think that right now people are a lot more willing to consider other solutions for mental health concerns. So there are, there's a lot of research going on about like using things like, for example, ketamine as treatment for depression. And, you know, a few years ago, that, that's probably something that wouldn't even be considered. So I think that's pretty cool that, the, that there's a lot more focus on mental health as a big concern and as a global challenge and a lot more focus on coming up with solutions to try and solve that. Judging by how large the mental health space is, and it ranges from low severity treatments like even Calm and Headspace as just simple mindfulness tools to all the way up in the high severity and you have hospitalizations and you might even have software for doctors or psychologists. It's such a intimidating space for people to tackle. And it's really interesting that you and Derek have taken action here. If there were any, say, aspiring founders or people who are just starting out tackling researching the space, what would you say would be the first most important thing that you should be doing? I feel like it's actually pretty consistent with the first thing that most founders should be doing. And that's really finding your target demographic. And at the beginning, you really want to make this as niche and as directed as possible. So particularly with mental health, I think it's impossible to try and target, you know, severe presentation at the beginning. So being able to target a specific sector of people and after that move on, um, I think that's something that's like the most important thing that you need to do. And the way that you would do that is essentially just by doing a lot of interviews. The way that we did it, the people that we talked to at the beginning were pretty reasonably large breadth of people. 
And that sort of narrowed down until now we have a very specific kind of people that we want to talk to when we're thinking about product development. And that's what we're focusing on at the beginning. And that will naturally grow. We've, we've talked a lot about learnings from Moody and your experience going from tech, studying neuroscience, and just your experience in the mental health space in general. So on more of a closing note, so if you had a huge billboard across the Harbour Bridge and you could put anything you want out of on it, what would you put? What would that look like? Sorry to be unoriginal, but there are actually two things that I've heard recently that I, I, I would probably be you know, really happy to put up. And the first one, I think, is a bit more targeted towards the mental health space. What it was, was fall in love with the person in the mirror who's been through so much and is still standing there. And that's sort of in line with the fact that it's really important for people to love themselves, as cliche as it sounds. And it's really important for people to know that they're not alone. And, you know, that's very much in line with the theme of Moody. So, yeah, that would be really nice. And I think the second thing is a bit more of like a startup-y theme. And it's if you commit to nothing, you'll be distracted by everything. <laughs> and it's very true. It's very true when you're, when you're building something. You, you have so many ideas and you have so many things that you want to do. But if you don't commit to one idea and if you don't have a focus and if you don't have a goal that you're really striving towards, then you're going to find yourself doing a lot of things, but not really accomplishing anything. Hey, thanks so much for the chat. And it's been super insightful. If anyone who's listening to this wanted to get in contact with you or wanted to learn more about Moody or just get in touch, where could they find you? And who are you looking to chat to? Yeah, so um, if anyone wants to... Um, reach out to me then you can just hit me up on you know LinkedIn or something so feel free to just reach out I'm open to have a chat any questions or anything you know that's all all good to learn more about Moody we do have our website so that's moodyhealth.com www.moodyhealth.com and it would be really great if you know you wanted to sign up to the wait list um, to be you know to try out the app to be an early user and also, you know, if there are any psychologists out there or anyone with contacts in the mental health space, potentially those who work at like um, mental health organizations or who work in research or anything like that, then it would be really great if you could reach out to us. We'd really love to work with you guys. Thanks so much, Clarissa. No problem. Thank you. And that's a wrap on this episode. Hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, follow us, give us a like, a download on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. And see you next time.